You are all going to die tonight. Welcome to another episode of Horror in Session, a horror podcast where a horror expert and a horror newbie sit down and tackle all of your favorites, old and new. I am your host, as always, Raina Cervantes, and with me, as always, in the classroom is my wonderful student slash co-host, Kyla. Hello! How are you today? I'm uh, tired, and uh, I yeah, I don't have much more to say. I'm just tired for some reason. <laughs> I mean, we're in Mercury retrograde, so that's a thing. Um, you know, technology has been acting up, as expected, mm-hmm. so... Let's see how this goes. <laughs> you know, hoping for the best, expecting yeah. the worst. Murphy's Law, if anything can go wrong, it will. Um, <laughs> is that but... a science thing? I'm not a STEM major. No, no. Murphy's Law is just a, it's almost like a superstition. <laughs> oh, okay. I was like, oh, I don't do science. No, no, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyway, joining us today in the classroom, she's a writer for Pajiba CG Magazine and one of the hosts of the horror podcast, The Pod and the Pendulum. Please welcome Lindsay Travis. Hello. Hi. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you. I'm very excited that you asked me. Well, um, you know, yeah. how to return the favor. God, I'm very excited that you asked me for two major reasons. One, because I really wanted to be on your podcast. And two, because I do not watch enough classic movies. I'm always looking for an excuse to. And this was like a really great push in the right direction. I felt that. I feel the exact same way. But I'm in film school right now. So I'm forced to watch old movies. So that's been really fun. But it's just hard because it's like never in the conversation, I feel like. Mm, Yeah, I know. It's like something that you like always like know or know about or have seen clips of or read essays on. Mm -hmm. But like rarely do you sit down and watch them. So yeah, definitely. Which is ironic because I feel like we say every week when we've been doing this Universal Monster series, it's like this is like sort of the origin of like the popularity of the horror genre. Yeah. And it's weird that I feel like not many people see nor cover these types of movies. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Very uh, odd. But I'm so glad we're covering them now. It's always been something that's interested me, I guess, of like the origins of horror, because this genre is so weird. I I feel like I had to give you something a lot more lighter in tone after subjecting you to the Saw movies. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Subjecting? Um... Yeah, I'll save my saw takes for another podcast. Okay? No, 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 please, <laughs> please. That was like, I knew I was like, okay, we're going to have Lindsay on. Saw is going to get brought up at some, it's gonna some point. Um, it's going to happen whether we like it or not. We're going to yeah. Saw. For those of you that don't know, Lindsay is actually a very huge fan of the Saw franchise. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love the Saw franchise, she, she, like, unequivocally and unmatchedly. Um, yeah, the whole, like, spiral discourse was just so fun for me because it meant that people were, like, talking about Saw again. Oh, like, yes. Drop your Saw. I mean, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. Drop your Saw editorials. I want to read them. <laughs> so cute Lindsay was actually one of the first people i told that we were having darren lynn bowsman on here oh i actually was like today i was like oh i'm on the same pod as bowsman therefore he is my cohort like that's my takeaway 
there, there you go. Official colleague. Yeah, he's my cohort now. So pretty cool. Pretty cool of me. And uh, <laughs> you, you like essentially just wrote like a saw Bible, didn't I, you? Yeah, I wrote the like continuity out like I like as <laughs> almost like a short story um, of the entire saw canon in order of like that is in so order cool. of the story versus like in order of the movies. Um, Cause it's just so funny to me. Like when we watch them all the way through um, that, like by the time you get to five and then you like reflect on one, you're like, Oh, he had like four disciples before the first saw movie, <laughs> <laughs> which like, you're kind of like looking back, you're like, Oh, the person in the closet was Amanda. And then it was like Hoffman doing like you anyway. So like all of the characters are that like all of these people that are unnamed in the first movie are actually disciples that you meet later. It's just funny to think about. I need to see this immediately. I think that's I will. so cool. <laughs> I'll link you. Yeah. Listen, you're going to forget about my boy Logan, though. I didn't forget about Logan. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm like, you mentioned Whoa! Amanda and Hoffman, but not Logan right now. Sorry, I didn't mention Logan, but I did say three to four disciples, to be fair. I did not say two. That's true. That's true. He's one of the um, unnamed disciples. <laughs> he is an unnamed disciple. The OG, in fact. The first. So I gotta ask. I gotta ask. So mm-hmm. before we move on and mm-hmm. continue mm-hmm. our conversation about everything else, listen. So Bowsman like came on here and was basically like, "Listen, Spiral is not Saw Nine. Hmm. So asking you, a big fan and Saw expert." Do you okay. think we'll get another movie in the Jigsaw story? It's a good question. I think, like, the Jigsaw story is so over. And if it's one thing that we learned from, like, the movie Jigsaw is that mm-hmm. it was, like, you have squeezed everything out of this story. Like, there's nothing left because Jigsaw just, like, all of the movies always retconned. But I feel like Jigsaw just, like, went too far to the point that we we're, like, okay, movie what um so I think that like that was in my opinion kind of the death of the I wouldn't say the death of franchise because it's horror we know that like they come back and we do another prequel and another spinoff where like you know Halloween uh was a 2018 was like starting again after Halloween one so Mm -hmm. I think that like you it's not it doesn't mean that it's like dead per se I don't think a horror franchise is ever dead but I do think it was like yeah we squeezed enough out of the jigsaw story because that one was like truly a finale of we're going back to the beginning again in a way that just wasn't successful. That said, if they were like, we're making Saw 9, I would be the first person lined up for it. So <laughs> I think it can happen. I do think though they are in a bit of trouble um, because one thing that the Saw franchise has done really well is they've always been ambiguous about time and location. Mm-hmm. And they've had to be because of how much retconning they do, because of how much... Um, uh, you know how much stuff has to be ambiguous for like when and where it all happened Mm -hmm. and spiral did a good job of also never naming the city and never telling you what year it was um Mm -hmm. and i think you're gonna run into a lot of trouble if you're gonna have like contiguous movies in continuity like how like how are you not gonna reference spiral if you make saw nine um just like spiral had to reference the first eight saw movies not well in my opinion but you know i don't know but like if they do it i'll be (laughs) ready and i will be there Uh or i will like you know i can help out (laughs) <laughs> did, did did anybody else get bothered by that line that Chris Rock says where he's like, John Kramer never never targeted Rina. cops? Rena, are you kidding? <laughs> <laughs> that was my like most successful tweet of all time. 
I, I, I don't think I saw that one. Oh my god. I was like, and it's funny because I was totally just like being a shit poster. I like mm-hmm. don't post that kind of stuff very much, but I literally just made like a collage of all the cops that Jigsaw targeted and killed. And then <gasps> just wrote like in quotes, Jigsaw never targeted cops. And Stop. not <laughs> Oh my god. The funniest thing was like so many people trying to like explain to me, like, of course, it's Twitter, like, no big deal. Um, I got like so many people being like, oh, she just doesn't understand saw continuity because technically it was Hoffman who targeted blah blah blah. And I'm like, okay, but the police think it was Jigsaw, but go off. Um (laughs) Go go off. John Kramer literally gives like Detective Matthews a test in Saw 2. Yeah, Saw 2 is literally the Detective Matthews test, and not to mention like in Saw 1. Like, if you want to, let's not even talk about continuity. Let's just talk about the first movie. Mm-hmm. In Saw 1, two of the victims, and there aren't that many victims in the first Saw movie, two mm-hmm. of them are police officers in the first movie. They really like, what are. are you doing? Like, I... like, and more cops die, but like Singh and Tap are like two of his major victims who are both cops. Like, what? Yeah. And it was like this weird thing of like, I I loved Spiral like more than most. I would say. Good, I love to hear it. Yeah. Um, I think I remember like uh, messaging you. I was like, "Yo, I really like this movie." <laughs> yeah. Um, and even that line got me, and I was like, I I paused like the screener at the time. I was like, "Wait, hold up!" <laughs> You're like what? the brain starts like flashing images of the whole series, going like, "What?" <laughs> like, Are they if, sure? you, if you like had to describe the Saw movies in like three sentences you would mm-hmm. mention that he targets cops. Like, that's, like, the core function of, like, that's, like, literally why when they were, like, oh, it's going to be, you know, a 2021, 2020 movie by Chris Rock with cops, you were, like, oh, so topical because it's about a killer who targets cops. So it's, like, very on brand. Like, this was not, like, a new twist. It was bizarre. And then so many people had to be, like, um... Well, you know, Chris Rock's character might not know that. And I was like, I still don't buy it. And also, like, Bowsman directed Saw 2. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like, you think he would notice that? I don't know. Not so, to, like... So, I, yeah. so the way he talked with us about the Saw 2, 3, and 4, because we did bring up the fact that he directed, like, previous installments. Yeah. Uh, it Don't quote me on this, but it kind of sounded like he wasn't too into making those okay um and, it's, and it seemed like spiral was the one that like really got him back and like excited like movie. yeah like it seems like spiral was like one he had like a good amount of freedom with mm. um, yeah i feel like the the heart is in a different place in spiral not that that's yeah. wrong or better um it's just in a different place so I yeah I agree I think I agree with you and like he did all of like his installments are some of the best ones like I love what he did he, um, with his he talks about like he talked about in our episode that we did with him how like by the time he got to like saw four he's like they were just being like so mean-spirited and like not fun hmm. and I I thought that was interesting because I was like because I kind of think where the series went after he left and the series did just kind of get like more and more mean-spirited to the point that you get to like saw 3d and that movie just straight up hates women yeah that movie is mean it's like it's but for jigsaw saw 3d and not that i like like ranking movies but i think Mm -hmm. saw 3d is one of the worst ones um it's oh it's at the bottom of our list (laughs) yeah it's super mean-spirited you're not at all wrong um Mm -hmm. i agree 
I also like this is like not important at all, but Mm -hmm. um, for all the Toronto listeners (laughs) out there. Um, there's a bit in Spiral. This I was almost like I considered sending you a message being like, hey, you need to ask this in your Bowsman interview. So Bowsman, Oh, I think I now. know what you're about to bring up. <laughs> I almost bag? did because I saw your I saw your tweet. I almost brought it up. But then <laughs> but I'm not the only one. <laughs> okay, so here's the thing. It's it bring like it you see that and it's like like that's a Toronto restaurant, correct? It is, yeah. Um but they celebrate Fourth of July in the movie. Well, so those movies do not take place in Toronto. They're almost all shot. Mm-hmm. Actually, I think they are all shot in Toronto. Yeah, um, but there aren't a lot of like exterior shots. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like in like um yeah, like I yeah, I could take you on a tour of like all the saw things and, and it would also be like the scene of the boys in every other movie ever in Suicide Squad. Every movie shot here is like shot on the same corner. Yeah. But um <laughs> But yeah, they're very, the only reason why I'm obsessing over it, and it was Alex uh, West also posted it, and I was like, same, I've been obsessing, because um, it's so specific to Toronto that it can't possibly be product placement, Mm -hmm. because like why, like what, it's so specific to the city of Toronto, Mm -hmm. but it's like a very popular restaurant, and um, I could see like... I want to hear the story because my in my head canon, it's like they probably ate there and were like, this place rocks. Give us a bag for our scene. Like I could totally see that being the situation because mm-hmm. not only do they just like have the Taroni bag, they straight up um, the delivery guys like Taroni delivery. And then there's like a close up <laughs> of the bag. And then Chris Rock carries it around for a while. And I'm like, why? Why did that happen? I mean, it worked. I ordered Taroni that night. <laughs> Oh my god! Well, there you go. That's but that's probably why. That's so yeah. interesting. I really I wish I asked that because, like, towards the end of our interview, I was freaking out because I was like, "Oh, we went through all of our questions." So I, oh no. like, asked Kyla. Like, I was just pulling out questions out of like nowhere. <laughs> like, oh it got gosh. to a point that I was like, "Where'd the puppet come from?" Or that's or, great. That's a good question. Everyone wants to know that. Yeah, so he dove into that, and I was just like, "Listen, what do you think of the of the term torture porn?" And he gave us like a very detailed answer on that's that. That's a good question. That's a good question too. I, I'm telling you, like randomly, it seemed like the improvised questions were like the best because always cause that's always the way. That's it just a really fact of life. was because even he was saying he was like, "Oh, that's a good question." <laughs> yeah, that's just a fact of life. You come prepared, and then the questions that are great are the ones that like kind of shoot up out of your other questions. Someday I will find out about the Taroni bag. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. He seemed like he'd been interviewing a lot. So the questions we were asking, he was kind of like short with that. Not like very short, Mm. but kind of short because probably he's like been answering them a lot. Um, So then the fun questions were just like, I don't know. It got got more fun towards the end. Those were the detailed ones. Like as soon as I asked him, I was like, oh, we could do spoilers, right? That's when like he got like really excited in the interview. (laughs) So good. Love that. Yeah um but we are not here to talk <laughs> saw sorry oh no one i talked about saw for the first half hour <laughs> listen i was just like Lindsay's coming on saw's gonna get talked about it's gonna happen no we this is a good debrief like i think <laughs> yeah. we needed a debrief we kind of just dropped that episode and we were like yeah we interviewed darren lynn bowsman anyways what's yeah. next <laughs> yeah but uh it, it's good to reflect on it um so before we get into our main topic of today, uh, I just kind of want to go around the table and discuss what we've been watching this week, preferably non-horror, because um, I know all of us have expansive tastes. Um, 
Kyla, you want to kick us off on this one? Yeah, I guess so. Last, mm, I was talking about how I'm watching Clone Wars because I'm finishing that, but I'm also finishing Gilmore Girls, um, which is also related to Saw. But anyways, um, (laughs) (laughs) it really is. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) yeah. But like, okay, so I'm in the last season. And it's really getting me down lately because Chris and Lorelai got married and like Luke is over here pining after Lorelai still. I'm just so mad. I I love Lorelai and Luke together. I know they'll end up together. I think, I think, I think I know that. Um, but is this your first time watching Gilmore Girls? Yeah, I've never watched Gilmore Girls ever, but like randomly last year I was like, you know, like quarantine is too much right now. I just need to like put my brain in a box and Mm -hmm. sit here and watch something um and so i started watching gilmore girls and it actually has been i'm i started really liking it um you said you put your brain in a box listen agent strom had his head in a box absolute babe (laughs) agent strom he's so sexy oh Mm. my god even when his voice is like all raspy (laughs) oh yeah he's got the whole (laughs) yeah (laughs) um but that's good i'm i'm glad you i'm glad you're enjoying that because i really enjoyed gimmel girls a lot when i watched it like back in like 2018 my ex my ex was like you gotta watch this and i was like i don't want to and i got hooked so it's so comfort food it's like eating a it's like eating a bowl of ramen that's what it feels like you know i don't know I respect it. I respect that take. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to say it's wrong. I respect it. <laughs> um, Lindsay, what have you been watching? Um, kind of non-horror related. <laughs> oh my gosh, non-horror. I've been watching so much horror. Um, Same. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, what am I watching that's not horror that I'm enjoying? That's another question. Um, <laughs> goodness. I started watching, this isn't a good one. I started watching The Flight Attendant, which I don't think that's horror. It's, you know, it's a thriller you, you know what i'm not gonna say it's horror it doesn't look horror from the trailer it's thriller but the uh-huh. unfortunate the reason why i'm like hesitant to mention is because like, i don't like it very much <laughs> no no, oh, no we welcome we welcome criticism um, on here like okay. wait do tell because everyone's been saying to watch it and yeah. i just want to know what's the deal it's not so bad that you shouldn't watch it like i think that um sometimes with like criticism i'm like oh i think it's bad but that doesn't mean it's not worth watching you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um so i do think it's actually still worth watching i think the reason why i'm so upset at it is because it's so well shot and so well acted and so well edited and it's the tone and the vibe are like so great so it bothers me that like it's so close to greatness um but it's just like the writing's just straight up bad like i don't think that you can I don't want to sound so snug, but like, it's not even like matter of opinion. Like it's poorly written and it's so annoying because it's like, it has everything else it needs to be great, but it's Mm -hmm. like the way I describe it, it's not like bad writing, like tropes are tropes and coincidences are coincidences. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not about to like watch CSI and be like, well, that's convenient. Like, yeah, they have to wrap the show up in an hour. Like, it's fine. Of course it's convenient. It's not Uh even like that. It's like I hacked into the mainframe and got all the secret information bad. Do you know what I mean? Like everything that happens, you're like, come this on. Is a, this is Katie Kuko, right? Yeah. And she's mm. – and I think it's like her baby. Like she got it all made. Oof. 
Um, and she is stellar. Like she is so good in it. It's mm-hmm. so, uh, it's so annoying because it's so close to good. But then someone will be like, here's a story point, And you're like, no, 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 that, no, 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 that, no. That's how I felt about uh, her first season of Harley Quinn. Because I was not into that first season. Yeah, and you're um, like, no. And then, but hope, but season yeah. two turned that around. So maybe season around. two of this can turn Maybe. Around. Oh, the fact that there's a second season actually upsets me because I was really hoping that I would just be able to get through these eight episodes and then go on with my life. And now I'm like, oh no. You're like, shit, I have to watch this. I have to watch more of this show. <laughs> this is me um, with Riverdale. Oh <laughs> God, I can't. That's why I won't start it because I know that I'll have to watch all of it and I just can't. <laughs> At least Listen, Riverdale is fun and it's like fun and good. I think it, the stupid stuff is the best part, in it my really, opinion. Yeah, I get it. Like sometimes I don't know. I yeah. Listen, it's junk food. No, but like exactly. flight attendant thinks. Like I think, what flight attendant takes itself seriously though, right? Does it think <sighs> it's smart? Uh, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, Ooh. so that's why smart. I can't. But like Riverdale knows it's stupid. That's why I like right. the stupid stuff. But I mean, I will say like the tone is more like it's it's I don't know what to compare it to. It's like very, um, like it's dark, but it's still funny and silly and like it's surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's very dark and grim, but it's also surreal almost in the way like a show like Dollface or Man Seeking Woman is. Like it's still kind of surreal. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. which actually works really well, which is why when a mm-hmm. character's like, I checked in their website and they're laundering money for these five people. You're like, what? <laughs> they had that and they're about us? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? Um, <laughs> you're like, okay, show. And I all, yeah, it's, oh my, my God. Um, I'm mad because I want it to be good, but I wish I could tell you that I was watching something I'm really enjoying. Um, no, that's good to know. I've been yeah. thinking about it, and it's not something that interested me, but people were, yeah. kept talking about it. I was like, damn, do I have to watch this show? Um, I mean, yeah, my I opinion is no, but also if you were like, should I not watch it? I'm like, no, watch it. Like, live your life. It's, have fun. It, like, it's, it's very funny, like, because uh, I'll see you tweet out about stuff, and, like, you're generally, like, pretty positive online. Like, you won't, like, openly yeah. talk shit on something. But I'll see, like, one of your tweets go, like, oh this was bad and I just like I can't and I'm like oh I want to know I know I'm just like oh yeah I (laughs) yeah it's not even that I'm like oh I'm gonna be positive I'm just kind of like most bad stuff I'm just like it's not even worth talking about like I don't you know but sometimes you have to review bad movies and you're like oh no oh that was posting like when you like post your review because you want to post your work and you're like I watched (laughs) this movie listen um so yeah it's funny that you say that like oh i wish like that that you said you wish you could talk about something you did like um so i guess the two non-horror things i watched this week one i really liked and one i was just kind of like no i don't like this um i did a double feature of suicide squad and birds of prey this week (gasps) fun yeah hey love that for you um i did them both on 4k because like i have a stack of 4k blu-rays that i'm like trying to work through and i know this last week i did watchmen and batman versus superman um any guesses to which one i like it and which one i didn't birds of prey you liked and suicide squad you didn't like obviously no it's reversed no i'm oh, kidding oh my god no <laughs> i was like there's an obvious answer to this so then i got stressed that maybe no um, okay no Continue. uh suicide squad 4k uh do not recommend 
anyone pony up the money for the 4K version of that. Because um, it's like, like because the movie's not good or because the 4K doesn't improve it? Both. Both. Okay. Um, it got to a point that the color was so off, I had to do research into why the movie just like looked bad. Um, and I guess it came out in 2016, which was like the first year of the format. And mm-hmm. the HDR coloring wasn't like calibrated quite correctly. Like it was still like messing with color palettes. Um, mm-hmm. So it looks like very almost monochrome and has this like layer of Vaseline over it. Oh, like, yeah, it's so bizarre. Like it makes Harley's like re- it makes the red in her hair look like almost pink. Oh, that's it's weird. it's so weird and i looked up like a review like obviously on blu-ray.com and i was like i gotta know what's up with this blu-ray and like it said picture quality one and a half out of five stars and i was like oh, <laughs> oh there no. it is wow um, so it was jarring to go from that to birds of prey which is like one of the best movies on the format because obviously I mean, it's a more recent 4K, release but, yeah um so it's like obviously a more recent release. They got HD coloring right, and obviously that movie just has a way better color palette. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, to the point that I was like, that I think like Birds of Prey and the new Batman versus Superman um, Blu-ray, the new 4K Blu-ray are like the two best like purchases on the format currently. Okay, yeah, and uh, Kathy really knows how to use color. She also did Dead Pigs as well. She um mm-hmm. executed that so it seems like her thing so it was nice to you know watch birds of prey and then dead pigs and be like oh like neon colors is her thing and she knows how to use it um i'm excited for more I kathy so well Me i just, too. also just think birds of prey just understands the character of harley quinn <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. like i was sitting there thinking and i was like could I have wanted anything else from like a solo like Harley Quinn movie? And I was like legit drawing a blank. Um, yeah, I, I went. I was I was hanging out with this guy, and he said he didn't like Birds of Prey, and I almost like left. I was I was oh I don't God. know. I know I was scared. I red flag, red flag. Did he I like Joker? Just, yeah, he has. Okay, wait, wait, stop. Oh no, stop, I'm stop. Really upset. No, I'm, guys, guys, he had a Joker poster in his room. I was so Wait, scared. Like a Joaquin Phoenix Joker poster? Yes, yes. To be fair, that poster is kind of cool. Is it the one of him on the staircase? Yeah, yeah, it's that one. <laughs> I'm so sorry I brought this up, but it just made me laugh. I was scared. You, you want to know the duality of woman is that I own Birds of Prey and Joker on 4K. <laughs> right? I mean, you know what, though? Like, so okay hot take since we're we're revealing ourselves like i actually like the suicide squad movie um i think it's fine okay so do i so do i i think it's not great it's enjoyable it's it's junk food it's total junk food and i think the reason why i liked it so much when i saw there are a few reasons why i liked it so much that i will share um but a big part of i liked it so much when i first saw it is like it was in like the peak of my marvel fatigue and I was just so Ooh. over like taking like superhero stuff so seriously all the time, mm-hmm. which is not a bad thing. That's not like a criticism. I just personally was over it. Mm-hmm. And then so to walk into a movie about villains that was just like trashy, I was like, mm-hmm. yes, mm-hmm. that's what I want. <laughs> like, it's not a good movie. The villain is bad. The CGI doesn't look good. 
characters who I won't make fun of just like are not done well the whole sky beam thing and it's gray and it's like not a great movie but I just was like yeah I wanted a trash junk food villain movie and that's exactly what it was and I think it knew what it was which I think it gets like told that it kind of had like you know problems with identity and studio interference and re-edits I'm like nah this movie knew exactly what it was doing Mm -hmm. um and it does it like fine I think it's fine I liked it I could see that Mm-hmm. I just think I like everything eight. you said is so true about it and that's why it's so fun but also um it just sucks that I feel like if there was just one couple little things it would have been like that perfect you mm. know junk food movie um because yeah. the parts that like drag on like is is kind of a, a thing but other than that yeah it's just so fun and I I like the little like the t- like name cards and stuff I don't know I thought yeah. those little things were so fun um so if it was just a little bit different it would be you know yeah. one of those movies I could watch over and over and over again totally like yeah. it's not great I've only seen it once in theaters but I left it being like I had a good time I like didn't think it was that bad and I also think the Joker was fine I know people like hate that Joker and I'm like not to be like in the comics, but like read a comic. Joker has been so many different ways. Um, and y'all just need to like let go of Heath Ledger already. Like not mm-hmm. him as a person, but like his Joker as the Joker. Mm-hmm. Because it was a fun adaptation and I didn't hate it. Listen, I, I, I wish we were doing video because you could see me like nodding my head with my eyes closed <laughs> during like those entire takes. Um, I'm, I'm canceled now. It's like over. I'm like well, no more. No, no, <laughs> no, I'm dumb because I saw Suicide Squad three times opening weekend and I bought it on DVD, Blu-ray and now 4K. So I own Love three it. copies of the movie for some reason. Um, and yeah, and I also own Joker because it's like one of those movies where the first time I saw it, I was like, oh, I kind of hated it. And then I started revisiting comics and I was like, I don't know. I kind of yeah. like this. <laughs> I mean, live your life. Like, I hate a Joker, but I also don't buy... Oh, gosh. I'm so sorry. Like, you brought me on your podcast, and I talk about the two things that I never shut up about. Um, <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. I'm no it's, it's, it's welcome. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm, yes, Joker and Saw. Um, <laughs> the thing about... Like, I hated Joker, and I, like, hate that it exists, and it, like, ruins... It's just the worst, and I hate it. But I reject the criticism of it that it's, like... It's an incel red pill bible it's like no it's not just stop like I don't feel that way I don't think that it like did I think that the criticism of it um got mixed up um and like what people were criticizing I like don't think that it's fair to say that it was like showing a bad guy and giving him the reason for his badness I think he's like still the villain in the movie oh yeah a thousand percent like yeah. come on like, yeah, if, so I, like if you're watching the movie and you're thinking he's a hero and whatnot that's on you that's like on you that is on you that is your reading of the movie like i think like even like todd phillips and while king phoenix has said in interviews like this guy is not meant to be idolized <laughs> yeah it's like to me it's um it's uh i mean it's almost like Fight Club, how, like, a lot of like, dudes were like, oh, I love Tyler Durden, but, like, Tyler Durden was supposed to be, like, making fun of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's kind of that. Like, if you got the messaging from it, like, you know, film's portrayal is not necessarily um, justification or celebration or whatever you want to say. And as much as, like, I think Joker's just, like, the worst and I hate it, whenever <laughs> someone's like, yeah, I know, it's because it tells – and I'm like, no, that's not why I hate it. <laughs> I'm like, no, no, you're not a bad person if you like Joker. That's just like not true. (laughs) And it's like this weird thing where like, if you do read the comics, you're just like, oh, you're like, "Mm, this is a lot like 
like the movie Joker. Like, yeah, I don't know. Like, like legit, uh, like yeah. the climax is from The Dark Knight Returns. Kinda. Like, <laughs> yeah, kinda that's a fair. Yeah, honestly, yeah, the climax is, I think, the best part, but. Um, which is yeah. why it's the best part because it's dark night yeah. returns i think yeah yeah i Listen, yeah i just like I, reject that criticism that like oh this person likes joker scary but then at the same time yeah if i was on a date with a dude and he had, <laughs> and he had the joker poster in his dorm room i'd be like anyway oh and <laughs> no, he was I saying I just, birds of prey was bad yeah i think i just get scared uh that people don't have good critical thinking skills if mm-hmm. they think like joker is deep you know because obviously mm-hmm. Raina, I'm, I'm sure you enjoy it, but I think you also no, know that the writing. Deep. It's yeah. not deep at all. See, it's it's like, about a puddle deep. Yeah, so like, a puddle deep. Everybody, yeah. I feel like a lot of people who love that movie go, oh my God, yeah, the themes and like, you know, the commentary and, you know, that's the stuff I'm like, okay, let's let's bring it back. Let's think no, about this. It's a this. crazy clown movie and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think, you know what? I feel like you hit the nail on the head because I think that's, again, why I push back at the criticism of it because so much of the criticism of it is basing it on this deep reading. Yeah, I'm like no. It's from the like director Todd of Phillips. The Hangover. It's yeah, not I'm like, yeah, like the guy who made. Um, oh my god, I feel like I'm buzzing. Um, the guy who made The Hangover did not make a deep Taxi Driver adaptation. Like, no, stop it. I mean, he might think that, but I don't. <laughs> Listen, I saw the movie with my ex at the time, and I was like, that movie wanted to be Taxi Driver so bad, and she turned to me and she's like, "What's Taxi Driver?" Yes. <laughs> And I was like, oh. oh no. So I showed her Taxi Driver, and then like her letterbox review for Joker ended up being, This movie wants to be Taxi Driver so bad. Oh <laughs> so my god. Funny. But like they knew that too. I was at the um gosh, I'm so sorry. I was at the uh TIFF premiere of it. Because like I had Ooh. to be, of course. Because the idea uh-huh. of other people seeing Joker before me was just like a no. Like I it was just not yeah. happening. <laughs> and I like knew, like I was concerned, <laughs> obviously. But I've had some, like, I've seen some, like, duds at TIFF. And the best part about seeing a TIFF dud is, like, the really obnoxious Q&A after where the director, like, strokes themselves live on stage. (laughs) Stop. And you're like, oh, my God. And I, oh, man, do I, actually, Raina, you watched one of them recently that I was like, ooh, I want to tell her that that was one of the the funniest Q&As of my life. Um, Oh, which one? (laughs) Nocturnal Animals. Oh. Do you want me to cut this? It's totally up to you. I'm so sorry. I can keep it. Okay. You know what? Let's roll it. Let's keep it. I I got I got to know. <laughs> the Doctoral Animals Q&A was one of the worst. Mother was one of the worst. Um and Joker is like in a hard third. Like seeing Todd Phillips just like love his movie up on stage made I like watched it with like my head between my knees just like I hate everything <laughs> I, I i gotta know i gotta know the nocturnal animals one because i was watching it and i like that movie but also at the same time i was like man this movie is ultra pretentious it's, yeah. okay okay oh god so maybe you're gonna be like wow Lindsay, you're just mean-spirited but so tom ford of whom i'm a very big fan it actually was a very funny um oh god there's so anyway hilarious anecdote i was like very at the time in like the pinnacle of my like Taron Edgerton obsession and I like sat two seats down from him watching the movie so like I couldn't focus on anything knowing that like I was breathing the same air as Eggsy Unwin uh-huh. and so we go to um Q&A and I was like what a pretentious load of load and 
Um, someone like people ask like embarrassing questions, like it is what it is. Tiff Q and A is like notoriously some of the worst Q and A's. And someone was like, someone was like, (laughs) someone was like, as and so anyway, most of them are like more comment than they are question. Oh, those people. You know, and like, and most of the time, the directors are like, oh, okay, but every so often they're like, yes, tell me how much you love me. So someone just asked, they were like, oh, I really noticed um, the um, parallels between characters. Like it was supposed to be like so-and-so and so-and-so. I don't remember the character's name, like Amy Adams and whatever, like that they were supposed to be parallels of each other. And I noticed that in scene transitions, it was like they were both sitting on a red couch. Was that on purpose? Oh, my God. Oh. And Tom Ford goes, I swear, he goes, oh, you picked up on that. Stop. <gasps> I swear. Stop it right <laughs> now. I would have cackled in the theater. I would have said no. It rings through my brain. Oh, you picked up on that. Yes, that very subtle plot device you used. This is the the man that like I saw in an interview with him one time. He's like, oh, I just imagine Tom Ford talks like this. He just goes like, oh, every man should be penetrated. Oh, my (sighs) God. And I'm like, what? What? What does that mean? Truly, oh, you picked up on that. I was oh. like, um, like what? I was sitting there watching it, and I was watching it with my mom because neither one of us had seen it. Well, I guess mm-hmm. Nocturnal Animals was a movie I watched this week that I there didn't bring up. Oh, wow. um, um, so I'm sitting there with my mom watching it, and I was like, "Listen, I think this movie is good. It's kind of pretentious, but also I think this movie thinks it's way deeper than it actually is." Yeah, yeah, and if if there's anything to portray that, it's that. And, and I, I don't know. It, I I used to really enjoy that movie in middle school, but also I was in middle school, and then now rewatching it, I'm like, some of the themes and commentary here is not okay. Like, it's very misogynistic. Another movie that hates women. It. I don't remember anything that happens in it at all. I remember like all the actors and what they look like, but I don't remember a single a, thing that it's happened. It's a very pretty looking movie. Yeah, it looked good. I mean, Tom Ford, like he's obviously it's Tom Ford. Yeah, he's stunning. Like, go yeah. figure. Go figure. <laughs> Gucci's lead designer. Go figure. Exactly. He has an eye. It's very pro life. Oh, ooh, oh, ooh. you picked up on that. Oh God, <laughs> that that's oh, John Krasinski at the Q and A for A Quiet Place. Yes. Stop it. <laughs> I can't. Pinky's up. John Krasinski's going like, mm, yes, I understand the horror genre. I literal description when people were like what did you think of a quiet place and this was like back when i was like i felt like the entire time i could hear john krasinski behind the camera telling himself he was doing a good job okay okay <laughs> let me go on a little chat about a quiet place oh my god that is, that is a movie that everybody talked up so much that when i finally saw it i was like this better rock my fucking socks off and i saw it and i was like y'all like stupid shit <laughs> Like, that is a movie that is so fucking stupid, but plays it so fucking straight and asks you to take it seriously that I'm that I can't. I can't. I threw my arms up. I was like, I was like, this is dog shit. But can't you like hear it? Like, can't you hear Krasinski being like, John, that was a great take. No. Yeah. Yeah. Great, John. That take, John. 
this movie is gonna be fire i think it says more about emily blunt that she just goes along with it than it does Mm. about krasinski that he does it (laughs) no wait and did you see they were trying to sue because of the the length of the time that a quiet place 2 was gonna be in theaters was less than they thought it was gonna be so like they're like we're gonna sue you guys i can't for a quiet place like i'm so confused like and and then like i'm i'm seeing reviews for the for part two i haven't seen it yet but some Part two is good, but yeah, go on. But somebody told me they're like, oh, it kind of doubles down on like that last third act of the first one where it's like them hunting monsters and whatnot. And I was like, the worst part of the movie is what the sequel doubles down on. I just want to see like Killian Murphy in a monster movie again, so I'm like, I'll watch it. Yeah, just for him. I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it because I'm stupid and consume like every piece of horror media. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah horror. I will say, but I'm not gonna pay for horror. Oh, because it's elevated. No, he does want you to call it horror. I saw I saw horror that that's better than other horror. I yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna pay for it. I don't know if like so um (laughs) all the like a lot of movies have not come to Canada yet which is why I'm like lining up to review them so that I can see them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Like Spiral hasn't come to Canada um, at all, um, for instance. And A Quiet Place 2 is the next one to not come to Canada. So I probably won't see it for a long time. And I'm just like, it's fine. I'll watch it when I can. I'm not like about to like do it. Do you you guys have Paramount Plus over there? We do not have Paramount Plus. Oh, Um, because I was like, Quiet Place goes to Paramount Plus 45 days after release. Yeah. So Amazon Prime, and then we have a thing called Crave, which is like our HBO affiliate, basically. Um, They get, between Crave and Prime, we get most of the things that end up on Hulu or Paramount Plus. Mm -hmm. Um, They usually snap up most of them, but a lot of the like, yeah, so anything that was like exclusive to theaters, we just like don't have at all. Um, A lot of them were going to like PVOD, where you could like rent them for 25 bucks, but they stopped doing it, Uh. so... I know. Bucks. I know. I was like, okay. <laughs> I know. Um, uh, I know. Yeah. Spiral is going to PVOD on June first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if we're getting it or not. But yeah, that's. I was like, I need to review Spiral because I have to watch it. Same with The Conjuring Three. We're not getting it, so I'm like lining up for it. Damn. The less I say about that, the better. I haven't seen. Oh my it, gosh! But... Don't tell me I don't get to watch it till Wednesday. I don't want to hear. No, 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 no. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. Oh, but I'm, but I'm it. just like not thrilled about it. I get it. I get it. Um, I w- I am excited for a Quiet Place Part Three because Krasinski is not directing it. <laughs> True. Yes. I and and like the director choice they got Jeff Nichols. I was like, oh, I'm gonna watch that movie probably wait why date. do i know jack why do i know jeff nichols what he did movie? uh the, the movie loving and midnight special yes got it mm-hmm. so Thank he's you. doing part three and i guess he actually like said in an interview he's like hey so we've been kind of sitting on this announcement because a quiet place part two was supposed to come out last year right. he's like but my quiet place movie comes out in 2022 like only a year from now whoa wild 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 yeah um so now that we did a ton of tangents oh like that um what <laughs> say we... like a, i'm gonna put like a clickbait and be like reina reveals that she likes joker and suicide squad in the no, don't description do that. <laughs> do that thing like on um like on youtube videos where you're like we start talking about the movie at 47 minutes <laughs> literally <laughs> we'll give people notes i i think this is going to be a little longer episode and i'm okay with that (laughs) um so let's say we have a quick word from our sponsor folks do you love movies 
the good ones, even the bad ones everyone told you not to like, it sounds like Super Yaki is the place for you. The team at Super Yaki loves movies so much they've dedicated every waking moment of their entire lives to bringing you top quality merchandise to showcase your love for them. From super soft t-shirts advocating for the immediate production of a third national treasure to comfy sweatshirts that serve as a call to arms for all those in support of making Judy Greer America's lead. They even offer top quality enamel pins of some of your favorite directors like Sofia Coppola and Jordan Peele. Super Yaki joyously brings you wearable love letters to the movies and filmmakers you love. Plus, the team at Super Yaki screen prints all their apparel using eco-friendly, 100% water-based inks and ships using compostable poly mailers for an environmentally friendly alternative to online shopping. And as a special gift to you, listeners can save 10% on their order with code SUPERSESSIONS, all caps, no spaces, at checkout. If the spirit moves you, find them at superyaki.com. That's S-U-P-E-R-Y-A-K-I.com. Let's watch more movies. Okay, ladies, uh, now that we're back and we can get back on topic for, you know, some period of time, I know we'll probably tangent even more, but um, this movie this week that we're covering, I'm actually really stoked because, you know, this I think this is one of, one of my more favorite Universal Monster movies. Um, I agree. I full-heartedly agree. <laughs> oh, full-heartedly agree. Okay. Okay. I... I- yeah, go on. Yeah, that that, that I was, got a resounding I was say, yes. I like this is my first watch, and I love it, and see myself definitely watching it again. Oh yeah, I forgot <laughs> it's your first time watching this. Watch. Oh oh, so I am the only one here that has had a history with this. Okay, so we'll just dive right into this. Um, the film we're covering this week is The Wolfman from 1941, directed by George Wagner, written by Kurt Siodmak, the writer of The Invisible Woman. Um, we all know him um the film stars lon cheney jr claude reigns bella lugosi evelyn anchors and maria os kylie you want to take this last name (laughs) ospenskaya yeah that um the film follows larry talbot as he returns to his father's castle in wales one fateful night as he escorts evelyn home from a local carnival they are attacked by a supposed werewolf of legend and the curse is passed along to him Universal's second and more successful attempt at a werewolf film, The Wolfman, is held in high regard today, even maintaining a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes and spawning a successful series of films with Lon Chaney Jr. reprising his role in every single one of them. Kyla, first and foremost, what did you think of The Wolfman from 1941? I gave it five stars on Letterboxd. Yeah, that's a big thing for me. I don't even know how to put into words how great this movie is it's just one of those perfect movies i think um definitely probably the best universal monster movie in that we've watched so far for me um just like the production design you know the characters the music the romance uh it's just such a balanced film and the writing is so good, and it just looks um, so good. So I was very excited about this, and especially, you know, you just go into it, and you're just sit, hit with all of these names, like huge, you know, Universal Classic Monsters um, names, like Aunt Chaney, Claude Rains, you know, Bella, um, 
what Kurt Sito Mac writing. And so that just makes you, I feel like, just so excited from the start. Um, and it just, it really lives up to, you know, all the names that it has in it. Yeah, I really liked it. Oh, yeah. So, Lindsay, uh, you said also this was your first time watching it. Um, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, it was my first time. It's so great. I think what I found really compelling about it is that the plot is like very, very simple. And it's much more a character study of Larry. Mm-hmm. Um, and not even like you don't even learn that much about Larry. Um, he's just like a guy who just got home. You don't learn a ton about him, but it's just so much of like what's happening to him, his little journey and how it affects the people immediately around him. And I love that. Like it doesn't, I mean, I guess that might be, you know, in 2021, we like movies with like three hours of subplots, but um, I think I just love that. It's just like a simple story of a guy that gets bitten by a wolf. And I thought that was so fun. The makeup is awesome. He acts it so well. Um, yeah, the romance is like silly as it is. It's just simple enough to make it work. And mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, it looks great. It, you know, it, you, I think with classic movies, we never expect them to look as great as they do. Cause you always think like, oh, they were using janky tech, but it's actually always so much better than you expect. Mm-hmm. And I think it just looks so good and it's just so fun and so easy to watch. Like it's so easy to be captivated by it. Definitely. I think the writing is such a strong suit for this one. Um, Cause you know, even, even though I feel like it's sometimes harder to tell with the writing for older films, just because writing is so different back then, but there is definitely like movies that are written bad and re- movies that are written good. I mean, obviously that's, that's obvious, but I do think it's just harder to tell what's good and bad because the writing is so different. Um, and definitely the writing is such a strong suit for this film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I, I kind of wanted to bring that up because um right here in my notes it said that this movie was supposed to be a bit more ambiguous like almost never fully stating if Talbot was actually a werewolf or if it was like all in his mind and he was just going insane like oh, I guess, that would have been interesting huh? yeah I, I guess the original idea was to not see him transform like at all but still yes. have him like commit these murders and whatnot. That's so funny because as I was watching it, I was like, and of course there is, I'm sure. I was like, I want to see a reading of this as a man with like lycanthropy. I don't know what the <laughs> emphasis is in that word. Um, a, a man who's a lycanthrope. I was like, I actually want to see a read of it where it's like maybe in his head. Because I think it still does kind of lend to that. Like no one really sees him. Well, I guess kind of, but no one really sees him as a wolf. So I kind of was like, as I was watching it, um, I was having that thought of like, you know how like sequels tend to make things canon that aren't necessarily canon in the original? Yeah. I felt like knowing that there are the sequels and the spin-off, or I guess not necessarily spin-offs, but the spin-offs. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I was like, obviously they're going to make it canon that he is a werewolf. And Uh I was like, in this first one, I still feel like it's potentially ambiguous. So I actually, that's an interesting fact. I kind of wish that Universal had sort of double down on that they did eventually do kind of that plot with um a film later on it's one of the last universal monster movies it's called a she-wolf of london Ooh, she-wolf um it is not good it is one of the weakest universal movies but um that that movie is entirely kind of about her being gaslit and whatnot into thinking that she's like a werewolf but she's not oh Um, interesting and i feel like those concepts are very like interesting 
Um, but I feel like at the time during like the Universal Monster craze, Universal was like, no, we got to show like the wolf. We got to show the transformation and whatnot. Which I agree with. I really like the wolf transformation. It's really cool. Me too. I, yeah, I mean, without skipping, I, skipping too far ahead, I love werewolf transformations. I love makeup and effects and things like that. And it's just like, that's, it's <laughs> one of my passions. Um, and I think the werewolf <laughs> transformation is so cool and so good. And like looking through right after I watched it, I watched a bunch of, um, clips of all the transformations in the subsequent sequels and spinoffs mm-hmm. i was just like damn oh yeah because in the sequels you actually see it like they actually do the fade-ins like on camera yeah. on camera and then there's versions where like other characters witness it which is cool and like yeah there's like close-ups of it it's really neat um they did some really great work it, it, it's wild that the iconic makeup for this wasn't even like designed for this movie in particular it was like designed for like universal's first attempt at a werewolf movie which was a uh, werewolf of london from 1935 um but i guess that one the story is that the character had to be recognizable as a wolf so right. jack pierce who did like all the iconic universal makeup kind of tossed out this design and repurposed it for this film interesting yeah and it's kind of wild too because shit took six hours to apply and an hour to remove wow so every time you hear something like that it's like whoa but then almost like all iconic makeup is like that i remember (laughs) this is a very bizarre thing to equate to it but i remember um yeah you guys had pop-up video on your like music videos right is that a thing Mm -hmm. i don't know yeah yeah i remember pop-up video um I remember there was like, anyway, there were all these pop-up videos when in the peak of Backstreet Boys obsession, when they did the everybody video, there were like all these like mini docs on much music, which was our MTV. And they talked about like, which makeup do you think took the longest to apply? And the answer was Brian's uh, werewolf makeup. Mm. And apparently it's just like, so I don't know why, because it always looks the simplest. You're like, it just looks like a glue on beard. But no, (laughs) it apparently is like very, very heavy and difficult to apply. And yeah, so many um, iconic makeup looks are like, yeah, it took eight hours to apply and two hours to remove and burned and singed. And it's awesome. <laughs> like, I love that. I'm like, yes, give me the like time lapse of them sitting in the makeup chair with a coffee, just with six people gluing individual hairs to their face. Yeah, so I cannot imagine like getting up six hours before you have to even shoot and then yeah. just sitting in a chair in like one spot while people just like touch your face. And then acting. And then it's uncomfortable to act in. Yeah. Right. They must just like totally disassociate though. Like not like I bet you they just totally zone out and are like half asleep while it's happening. Because like you'll see sometimes like actors will post their like time lapse and usually like wearing headphones Mm -hmm. or they're like holding a book or something. Because I bet you they just like listen to like podcasts and just like totally like zone out. The but it's still probably very back, onerous the podcast, <laughs> this podcast back in the day came on came came on vinyls hundred <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, percent. unfortunately like what seems to be the trend with actors in the universal monster movies is that they were all like alcoholics uh, mm-hmm. so they probably just got i imagine they just got fucking blitzed before <laughs> they sat in that makeup chair blitzed for the makeup chair oh my god you'd be like hung over by shooting time no a nightmare uh it legit happened with the uh, colin clive uh filming the frankenstein films he was <gasps> like to the point that like 
he couldn't even like read his lines like in front of the camera oh my gosh that sounds like a horror show yeah in itself in of itself <laughs> yeah so it's it's wild that like jack pierce kind of just took all these actors that universal had and was just like oh you're my new guinea pig yeah, yeah. i mean lon cheney um you know had his legacy you know he carried on the legacy from his father yeah yeah, yeah. but his father would apply his own makeup yeah so that's interesting <laughs> Which oh my is, gosh, I love but that, that. that's that's yeah. also showing the times i mean before his father when his father did phantom phantom of the opera right yes the 1920s one yeah like makeup artistry in film wasn't to the where it is when we see um this film so it's interesting to see that progression of like now there's actual like makeup artists um it's like so crazy to think like these are like the early days of makeup artists makeup in film yeah Yeah. so i do think that's interesting yeah his father was like one of the forerunners of like movie makeup like i said Mm -hmm. he used to he used to just walk in with like this big ass like makeup case and apply like all of his like iconic makeup himself um that's so cool that like i mean i feel like there are probably so many broadway actors too that like they just apply their own makeup quickly in their dressing room which is just totally wild because you just picture this like glamorous thing of these artists everywhere but Mm -hmm. um yeah it's wild and i think like i just keep thinking about the six hour thing because in the and i don't know this off the top of my head i would have to look but in the close-up transformations Mm -hmm. um it's in stages right like they Mm -hmm. layered presumably are layering on um you know we're gonna fund this much makeup and then we're gonna shoot and then we're gonna do this much and shoot like man that transformation must have been so onerous because you're doing like 10 different looks to get one transition scene and it's like yeah it's like the first time universal had done this because for werewolf of london all of the transformations in that happen off screen yeah so so i'm sure this one that was probably a stipulation they're like nah we got to see that shit on screen yeah we're gonna we're gonna blow everyone away yeah that's so insane because i feel like werewolf movies and tv shows now the transformation Mm -hmm. is such a staple and it's yeah here's the origin of it yep a hundred percent it's such a staple like i i mean maybe it's not as common as i think it is but like talking about the werewolf transformation and how it was done and like how good it was like i remember when um uh hemlock grove which like no one watches except me i did watch i did watch (laughs) that i did yes yes love to hear it um not great do not recommend but i absolutely love it and we'll watch it 10 times over um but the werewolf transformation in that is like sick. And I mean that in like every sense of the word. Like it's awesome and it's also completely sick. It's really gross. And yeah, werewolf transformations are so cool. And I think it's just like such a cool thing um, to mess with and play with and see how it looks. And of course, this is very much like a wolf man versus like the werewolves that we're now used to seeing that just look more like wolves with, you know, big buff bodies versus like a dude with. <laughs> hairy face <laughs> so 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 uh i gotta ask you two questions before we talk a little bit more about this film first off um best werewolf transformation in film go honestly it might legit be hemlock grove i don't know Ooh. if you've seen it no i have yeah i respect that answer <laughs> i honestly love it one of the things that i love so much about it is that 
very often we picture the werewolf transformation as a body transforming. Mm -hmm. Um, So like, you know, all of a sudden their knees flip the other way and then they start to like, you know, whatever. What's really cool about um, the one in Hemlock Grove is that it's like the werewolf is inside and busts through the human skin. So it's not that like their teeth grow from teeth into fangs. It's that the fangs bust the teeth out and then the wolf eats itself and then later regenerates as a person. And I think that is just so gross and so cool. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's so cool that it's not like your teeth transformed suddenly. And like biologically, it kind of makes sense. Like my teeth aren't going to like grow into canines. It's pretty dope to think that like, no, the canines are on the inside like a shark and like busted through your actual teeth. So, yeah. if, so if that happened to me and my werewolf, teeth broke through and my human teeth grew back after would they be straight finally like would I still have freaking teeth <laughs> literally I was just thinking I was like is that gonna like undo all of my orthodontia because that's a problem I don't want to have to have hey it might um so second question uh werewolves on all fours or on two legs Ooh, good question um Ooh, good question. I think when I picture a werewolf, I picture them standing up only because I think it's the only thing that separates them from just being a wolf. Mm-hmm. Because I think that like the like big buff wolf on all fours doesn't do much for me. But what I really like, and I think it's kind of what happens in like the underworld movies, is like, yeah, they're on like their two legs, but they can still like gallop and run like a wolf. Mm-hmm. Which I think is like a nice happy medium. Like I don't like, I think they look kind of cartoony when they're like walking around on their hind legs. It looks kind of silly. But -hmm. I like the idea of them like maybe fighting on their hind legs because they're still kind of humanoids. But then they can like run, when they run, it's all fours. They're not like sprinting like Tom Cruise with their elbows. So like the underworld werewolves? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I respect that's what I think because I, think I like those movies. <laughs> yeah, me too. I'm watching Blood Wars tonight. <laughs> Ooh, Ugh. I'm making my way through all of them though. Okay, so I was like, I'm I'm at Blood Wars. <laughs> Little tangent. Uh, I was talking with Trace one time from Horror Queers, which obviously I'm a big fan of here and very close friends with. Um, yep. I told him I had bought Underworld Blood Wars at Walmart, thinking it was the first movie. So. <gasps> I watched it and I was like, what the fuck? I don't remember any of this. That's so funny. I, most of the Underworld movies, I like from another time when you would just like go to the movies and see what was playing. Mm-hmm. I saw like two of the ones in the middle, like just like at random with some friends. It just, it just saw those. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so it was like, oh, like rewatching them, like making my way back through them. It was the one, um, the one where they bring in Theo, uh, james whatever one that is i don't remember I the think titles that might be underworld is that the second one no i think it's like the third or fourth it's after the prequel so the one oh, after the prequel oh, uh, it's awakening sure so awakening and then the prequel one are the two that i saw like randomly in theaters with friends and i was oh, like i just like worst to see <laughs> yeah but i also was like did i just like go see this movie thinking like yeah, i'll figure it out but it was kind of nice i was like you know what normalize just seeing the fifth installment like why not um because it was just really funny i was like having such a like lovely flashback of the times like going to like law school buddies and just like picking a random movie being like oh there's an underworld movie we should watch it and just like watching it with no context oh yeah <laughs> it's fun it um, speaking of context uh mm. i wanted to wrap around <laughs> back to the movie we're discussing which <laughs> you know <laughs> listen we all love werewolf movies but um the wolfman is actually one of the first ones that creates like the modern conventions of 
you know, the werewolf myth. No way. Yeah. So I, I put it down in the notes. Obviously, um, passing the werewolf curse through like a bite, their weakness to silver, the werewolf with victims being marked of some kind, um, all originated from this movie. Because before. The silver originated from this movie? It did. It originated from this movie. Whoa. So, in a weird way. So I guess lycanthropy and the myths surrounding it um, before this movie were like, oh, this person's a werewolf because they made a pact with the devil. Oh, and, okay. And this one, it's like, oh, no, it's a curse that gets passed along if the werewolf like doesn't kill you. Also, they're weak to silver because we got Lon Chaney Jr., this bitchin' looking cane. Yeah. <laughs> That's so- the origin of this. This is a very cool fact. Mm-hmm. I love that. Um. And I feel like the devil thing is kind of alluded to because it's very pentagram heavy. Yeah, yeah, like literally the mark on his hand is a pentagram, mm-hmm. which yeah. which I love because that's still carried over through modern context. Um, but in a weird way, it was like kind of used in the opposite manner in like films like American Werewolf in London. Right. Uh, how the pentagram was there to keep away the wolves. Right. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, it's interesting how in some stories, werewolves are the heroes. And then mm-hmm. other stories, werewolves are the villains. It's mm-hmm. so back and forth. Mm-hmm. And doesn't the necklace that he gives to her, what's her name? Um, Evelyn. Evelyn? Doesn't mm-hmm. he give her like a pentagram necklace to protect her from the wolf? Mm-hmm. So it's like, that's interesting. Yeah, uh, I I just thought it was super interesting that like there wasn't kind of like a clear like modern werewolf mythos when Universal decided to do this because this is like one of their like few like movies that didn't have like a literary basis. It was like this and Creature from the Black Lagoon that had like no like source material. Whoa. So it was one of the ones that Universal kind of put together and like kind of crafted from their own being, which is why I think it's probably one of the better ones because it's like, oh, we're not adapting this. We're just kind of creating a monster movie from scratch. Yeah. Yeah. They're like not beholden to anything. That's so cool because like, of course, like we call these characters the Universal monsters for a reason. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, they're probably like were their own creations. I just love the idea of a writer like when you talk about like sources for writing and I guess this is maybe more journalism than writing but it's kind of you know you find an oddity is an odd story that you investigate um and turn that into something and like I just really love the idea of someone like hearing about lycanthropy I still don't know how to say it lycanthropy in um you know like a psych textbook and thinking whoa what a what an interesting thing to adapt like that's and it's especially interesting to adapt because um, I don't know if you guys uh, saw the movie from last year by Jim Cummings, uh, Wolf of Snow Hollow. Oh, you've been talking about that one. No, it was like the one that I like meant to watch and never did. You know those ones? Yeah. <laughs> so I'm not going to spoil the movie, but there is a moment that like he talks, to, he's doing research on lycanthropy and he's talking about like in the Middle Ages is kind of where this like origin of like like the source of uh, this myth and what it was is that like every full moon women would just like turn up dead in fields and just like rip to shreds. Like people thinking like, Oh, an animal must've did this like an animal who only comes out like on a full moon. But in actuality, what it was, it was people killing women under 
the light of the moon because it was light enough outside to kill them and see what they're doing. Whoa. Wow. So in a weird way, um, lycanthropy is kind of like very like closely like attached to like misogynistic crimes and murders. That's crazy. And it's, I'm not going to say it's weird or bad that like Universal like adapted it and like kind of just tossed all of that out. Um, it's just interesting the way they adapted it for like a modern audience and to like kind of like bury that kind of awful history behind it. Huh. Yeah, I mean, the ethics of uh, werewolves um, throughout media is so interesting, you know, it's so morally great. Even in this film, it's always like, oh, you're it's your curse and it's not by, you know, what you actually are, you know, when that lady says the the stuff after they die and stuff like that. Um that carries so much in other media. Yeah, I think that's (laughs) I think that's interesting because um that's an interesting take because I think, yeah, we talk about like, oh, this is just your this wasn't you specifically. This was um your curse as opposed like as a way of removing fault or liability. But I never really see it that way. I think this movie does that a bit. But I do think like they made the point of saying like, you know, it's a version of a multiple personality um, and like it's almost like a mental illness manifesting in a movie as a curse, which I think is like interesting Mm -hmm. and almost compelling Mm -hmm. Um, because like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know a ton about like how we discuss mental illness in the, you know. 30s and 40s um, we didn't <laughs> yeah i'm not like a scholar we, in the no in it, but like i i assume yeah. they they just didn't it's like ah yeah, you like didn't really chat yeah it's it's like, like i'm gonna prescribe you cocaine for the ghosts you in go, your head cocaine. yeah <laughs> good luck with all that but that's why it's kind of really compelling that you know we've got the character's father being like it's you know an illness tantamount to a multiple personality and blah 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 like they're discussing those things which are pretty heavy and having it manifest as a monster movie, um, Mm -hmm. which again does not, I still don't think just because you see the transformation, I still don't think that it precludes it from potentially all being in his head, quote unquote. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's like a pretty interesting thing. I don't know. Yeah. It's a lot to think about that with the ethics of like burying what it does. Oh, it's very interesting. Speaking of ethics, um, I wanted to touch upon like um, the portrayal of the Romani in this movie. Yeah. Especially the use of a particular slur throughout it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what were what were your guys' takes on that? I mean, for one, I do like how like a Hungarian actor, Bella Lugosi, is like playing one of these roles and, and it and the and the woman, I forget her name. Um, it's like losing me. I had it on the tip of my tongue. Maria. Um, yes. Maria. I like how they actually got like Eastern not, European actors. Yeah, Eastern European actors. I didn't want to say like close approximations to the race that they're playing, but like they got mm-hmm. Eastern Europeans playing Eastern Europeans. Yeah, I mean the movie obviously uses a word that we won't, but um the implication, I mean they refer to them as the fortune tellers. The implications are there, but I don't know it's hard to say like the Romani obviously do have a particular look with a um, various bloodlines, but they tend to have certain features and looks and 
that are associated with Eastern European and I believe um, a lot of Indian descent, but don't mm-hmm. call me on that. I'm not an expert. Um, and so there's a lot of uh, different features, which I'm not going to like, I don't know if these, you know, if these actors really did that or not, but yeah, they're interesting. I think as fortune tellers, um, I don't know, again, without being an expert in any sense, I do think that it does a good job of, these are fortune tellers, so they're familiar with the curse. I don't personally, and I welcome someone telling me that I'm totally wrong. I think it actually does a pretty good job of not othering them. Mm-hmm. Like it never is like the crazy fortune teller told me about, was weaving yarns about a pentagram. It's never like that. They're always trusted um, characters that are like, oh, please help us. Yeah, you know what it's, I mean? it's, it's like we're in your domain. We're coming to you for help because you're the expert on this. Yeah, Rather- it's so interesting how they're so compelled by these, by f- the fortunes and the fortune tellers and so interested in it all. When in other movies, it's always like, aha, like fortune tellers, haha, like, you're you know. crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Like, think of even um, something like um, Drag Me to Hell, which is a pretty, like, you know, mm. modern story, modern-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the fortune tellers, the the woman, uh, oh gosh, where, where is she from in that movie? I forget. I actually think she might be Hungarian, but I don't remember. I'm it doesn't like, matter. I'm like, Lindsay, um, you don't know a Sam Raimi movie? Come oh my on. God, stop. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Um, but yeah, like it's very much like the crazy cursing woman with blah, blah, blah. And I don't feel that in this movie. I think that it was very much like the, you know, when the woman uh, fortune teller approaches them after he uh, gets in that initial fight, it's like, please help us. And she doesn't like do some like weirdo other thing of like throwing water on him. Like she just is like, yeah, let me get him home. And then, hey, the, you know, I think they do like a pretty decent job of not othering them. In my it, opinion, if they're anything, not like cartoons. If anything, I think it's like kind of hilarious that they're like so invested in like these problems of all these random white folk that are running around the woods. <laughs> yeah. They're like, don't worry, we're going to help you out here. As yeah, it's like, being like, good luck with your curse, bud. Yeah. Instead of like, or instead of like, oh, come into my cabin and I'll do some weird magic in front of you or like whatnot. It, <sighs> I feel like it's a very like, uh in a way it's a very calculated like depiction of them yeah and it's interesting um you know how much in this world um everybody knows about you know werewolves and fortune tellers and it's so you know accepted in their society it's very it's very interesting i don't know you know i mean mean, you you know what cinematic universe we're watching right yeah (laughs) well yeah i mean dracula is like 100 miles away no i'm kidding (laughs) (laughs) but i mean the 40s of the 40s (laughs) um but yes you are right i i think i think it goes back to once again um the reason it's so fantastical and just kind of accepted is like um you have to look at what was going on in real life world events at the time i mean world war ii people were right, that's what i was just at, gonna say like yeah like we're people, talking we're in the middle of world war ii when this movie came out yeah and like like kind of peak world war ii it's like right when america entered um yeah december 41 is when america entered world war ii um so in a way it's like people were looking to movies to escape from what Mm -hmm. was going on in the world conflict so i think it's a i think that's kind of a big reason why a lot of disney was successful a lot of horror was successful 
like people just wanted a chance to get away for a little bit i believe for sure yeah, definitely and like this isn't something i've researched prior to this and i'm probably going to spend my evening doing it now but like let's talk about what was happening during world war ii specifically to marginalized groups in eastern europe Mm-hmm. And to have a story where you have Eastern European characters not being othered in the heart of it is like a very, I don't know. I think there's a lot there. It's its very, it's not bold. It's like, it's unexpected in a way. Yeah. It's yeah. like, wow. I don't know. I've got, yeah, I'm going to be on a deep dive and, and thinking and, about that. And in a weird way, I feel like we're almost seeing a repeat of that with horror, with the events of last year. And mm. the fact that movie theaters are reopening and what's basically taking over the box office like every week, like horror movies. Yeah, um, for sure. Just these fantastical like, like, hey, it can be way worse type movies. <laughs> well, not even that. I mean, a lot of I mean, circling back to Saw. No, yeah, <laughs> like, so ahead. much of the trend of I'm sure there's, you know, lots of really great essays you will find online that have come out um, around just because of Spiral. Um, but, you know, talk about the rise of quote unquote torture porn in post 9-11. It's not a coincidence. No, it's um, not. Yeah. And it's often, you know, horror is often a reflection of the sensibilities and processing trauma at the time. French extremity rose the time that it did for a reason. Um, and yeah, it's, yeah, man. Now I'm like going to spend my whole evening looking at like World War II uh, and the Wolfman essays i'm like huh it's like a light bulb it's it's interesting it's a very like not like flash in a pan like time period movie but it's like it's like there's way more context than you think of like just oh it's just lon cheney turning into a wolf it's like this movie has so many layers that like i think that's why it's resonated so much over the years Mm -hmm. um it's also that I just love this movie, you know. Yeah. It's also it also feels it's great to watch a movie and just go, "Yo, that's a fucking good movie." Yeah, it's a good movie, and we love uh, a little romance. I love it. I, so I love a little romance. <laughs> oh yeah, and you know Kurt Sidomac, um, who also wrote The Invisible Woman, which also was like basically a romantic comedy. Yeah, <laughs> um, this Dude had the loves same thing romance. going on, but just. Not better tonally you know <laughs> it, it knew how to balance its tones you know yeah it was just not funny this time around <laughs> it wasn't a screwball slapstick comedy yeah um but you know range that's all i gotta range. say um the last tidbit i had is that the wolf that larry talbot fights is actually lon cheney jr's own german shepherd Oh, so like now that I know that every time I watch it, I'm like, oh, he's just playing with his dog. Oh, yeah. I actually love that because when that moment happens, you're like, okay, it's obviously very obviously shot and edited in such a way that you don't see anything. Yeah. Um, Thank God. And I was like, oh, man, I wonder what it was like to just like have a dog. <laughs> and I was like, oh, God, how did they do that? I love the idea that it was his own dog because it probably uh very nice experience. I was like, it's my buddy. And this movie is nice to dogs. It really is. True. Um, Which which you don't think it would be. (laughs) Yeah, is that weird that I expected that it wouldn't be? (laughs) No, yeah, because you always hear the horror stories of like, oh, they kill the wolf, and like, you imagine it happening on screen and whatnot. Yeah, it was like, it's nice, and like, even when the dog shows up, the dog that barks at him when it's uh, Mm -hmm. her fiance's dog, or yeah, her fiance shows up 
um, Andrews with his dog. Mm-hmm. Um, even then, like the dog barks and it's like, oh, you should take him outside. And I was like, yeah, okay. He like brought his like pal on a leash. And like, oh, I take him outside. He's barking at this dude. And I was like, oh, it's a nice, nice dog movie. <laughs> so um, before I ask what our final thoughts are on the movie, has anybody here seen the remake besides me? No. The one that came out in like, uh, with was it with Anthony Hopkins? Anthony Hopkins, Benicio del Toro, and Emily Blunt. It came out in 2010. Is it good? Uh, it's interesting. I feel like I like so vaguely recall it, and I think I just like must. I think I like watched it in a group, and it was one of those things where you like were watching it, but not enough to remember everything that happened. But I do like I have it's in my head. Yeah, but. I just I just think it's interesting how a remake of such an iconic movie just gets like crazily forgotten. Yeah, just totally forgotten. Are we getting like that Gosling remake or something? Yes. I was going to bring that up too, that currently a remake is in production at Universal slash Blumhouse, uh, written and directed by Lee Whannell and starring Ryan Gosling. Wow. Um, And I guess Lee Whannell said said right now it's supposed to be like inspired by one, obviously the original Wolfman and, and the movie network. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I guess like Ryan Gosling's character, he plays like a news anchor. Oh, it's kind of cool. I, I mean, you know, what Lee Whannell did with The Invisible Man was obviously inspired by The Invisible Man, but it's very a very different story. Mm-hmm. It's like yeah. a completely different thing that I think um, what he did with The Invisible Man was so cool. My, my favorite part about it was that it took the lore and made something completely different out of it. It wasn't a remake. It's it was like a brand new. Not that that doesn't it was an remake. update. But yeah, it was like a brand new story leaning on the lore um, as opposed to being like beholden to certain core elements. I think that was what's so cool about it. So I'm intrigued to see what he'll do with the Wolfman. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm in the same camp that I, I fully expected to hate the Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. But I walked out like loving it and that the fact he actually made like a universal monster, you know, these monsters that we all know and like, to be honest, aren't scary to us anymore. Kind of right. made him like terrifying again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Let's have him do all of them. Yeah. I'm at like two minds though, where I'm like, let's have him do them all because he did such a good job with the first one. Mm -hmm. But then on the other side, I'm like, okay, so that's what can be done. Now let's get someone new. So, (laughs) so I don't know if uh, Karen Kasama's is part of the Blumhouse, Mm -hmm. like Universal Monster Universe yet. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. What's going on? Because they announced another Dracula. I was like, what? Yeah, they also announced uh, Chloe Zhao's. Yeah. Um, which Universal is also doing. Yeah. Which is being described as a sci-fi Western remake, which sounds so insane that it can't can't, it can't do anything bad. but work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It has to work. It's bad. It has um, to work. And uh, I know there's the Invisible Man sequel in mm-hmm. in the works from Lee Winnell as well. Interesting. Um, there's the invisible woman from Elizabeth Banks that is being described as American Psycho meets Thelma and Louise. Okay. And then <laughs> I know I know from a couple sources that there is a creature from the Black Lagoon remake in production, but I'm not hearing any names attached to it yet. Interesting. So huh. I th- I think we're 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 going to see a resurgence of I'm- these monsters coming back. I'm surprised no Frankenstein yet. 
they've been trying to do that so long with uh bill condon the director of like beauty and the beast and uh eclipse like mm-hmm. the twilight movie um they've been trying so hard to get his like bride of frankenstein movie off the ground with angelina jolie and like it's been added to the release schedule and like removed like just as many mm-hmm. times i wonder so, why <sighs> You know, I feel like Universal probably looks at Bride of Frankenstein as, like, not only their greatest horror movie, but probably one of the greatest movies that studio has ever done. Yeah. Like, too delicate. Yeah. I think it's literally a situation of, like, oh, better not touch this one. Hmm. I don't know. I would like an updated Frankenstein. But do you do a Universal Frankenstein or do you do the Frankenstein novel? A universal Frankenstein. I, I could see a 2021 version of Frankenstein. You can't but, see it. But would audiences buy into the idea that the squared head dude with bolts on his neck is a threat? I think you I, could update it. Ooh, I think you can update it. I think one of the problems with Frankenstein is how many Shirley stories we've gotten this year. Mm-hmm. That maybe it's like we need some space between that and a Frankenstein adaptation, perhaps. No, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, maybe not because I don't know that like that many people saw. Gosh, what's that one that came to Shutter? Um, I recently saw Shelley with uh, Elle Fanning. Oh where... right, and then uh, right. Oh my goodness, no! What was the Shutter movie? Come on, A Nightmare Wakes. Um, mm. it's a Mary Shelley story. I did hear about that. Yeah, I, I think I think Mary Shelley is a very hot topic in horror right now. Interesting. I haven't but been I, hearing anything outside of horror. Well, I mean, mm. she's the mother of sci-fi. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I'm just saying it's interesting. Like you say, she's a hot topic right now, but otherwise, she's not. Mm-hmm. So that's why I'm saying like a mainstream like Frankenstein like Invisible Man update Shh, would work sh- because sh- he's not in the conversation. Shit! At this point, the way we're talking about it, watch them go ahead and announce it tomorrow. Tomorrow, honestly, I'm hundred percent it's going to happen. I'm I just saying. think it's like we're talking about things like women in horror and the way we're like expanding how we talk about and look. Although we always kind of have, but. I think that, you know, with I'm this is just like I'm totally spitballing. I think that when we're talking about a woman like Mary Shelley and like um there's so many adaptations about, you know, and her story about like how she created this while in like a really difficult time and it was reactions to things that were happening to her and her body and her relationships. And it's so hard to like like I think if you were going to make a new Frankenstein movie you would really have to lean into the fact that these themes arose from a woman going through these things and create, like, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I think it would be, you couldn't just do like a straight up, um, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I'm just like, honest. I'm like, my brain is like thinking, like, so this is not a very like, well thought out. Like at the end of the day, <laughs> I feel like a Mary Shelley, like Frankenstein, a new one needs to be told by a woman. Which would like, be great. Right. That's what I'm kind of thinking. Like, it needs to be, like, a woman's story that, like, if the original Frankenstein, quite obviously, as you're reading it with a contextual analysis, you're going to pick up on those themes. But I think if, like, you were making a movie now, you would really, really need to lean into those themes, I think. So, so this is what we do. We get Greta Gerwig to do Frankenstein. Oh, my gosh. I would like to see it. And listen, 
now that I said that out loud, that's not a terrible idea. It's in the universe. Yeah, I think it's ripe. I bet you, I don't know. I'm saying I bet you. I don't bet you at all. But I would venture to bet. No, put money on it. I'll put money on it. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Slapping cash on the table. I bet you that's been like part of the conversation is like, how do we adapt? You know, we've now spent like in the, you know, past five-ish years, we've had movies that are talking about Mary Shelley. So how do we now make a Frankenstein adaptation um, without making so many considerations about that and thinking about that and how that affected what was created, right? Like Frankenstein is not simply you know a mad scientist making a monster like what does that really mean and i mean look at the invisible man it had not, it wasn't anything like the original invisible man it was a completely different story mm-hmm. um huh thoughts lots of thinking I'm, lots of I'm in. speaking of thoughts um let's just go around and say some final <laughs> thoughts about final the thoughts. the wolfman um kyla um any final thoughts about the wolfman do you recommend it do you not recommend it yeah, I just think it's a really great movie, and I was, I was so happy to watch it this week, especially after The Invisible Woman was all right. So it was really exciting to watch this, and I hope you guys all watch it. Even if you like don't watch Universal classic monster movies, I feel like this is one you need to catch. Yeah. And then, Lindsay, what are your thoughts watching this for the first time, and would you recommend this? Yeah, I, I agree. And yes, I'd absolutely recommend it. I think it's a really great movie. Um, not that this is the mark of a good movie, but, you know, we chatted about it and I'm already thinking about so many things that I want to read and think about and chew on about this movie. And I'm probably going to spend my evening reading about this movie. And that just is such a special thing. Um, and yeah, it's great if you're not sure if you like classic movies, um, because sometimes you can be like, oh, they're not the same, you know, pace and style that we're used to. Um, first of all, give a lot of really good classic movies a chance, but second of all, this is a really good one. It's easy to digest and it does have like, it is, you know, a scary high paced movie, like not scary per se, but it's got a good pace that feels like, oh wow. Okay. I'm watching a good movie right now. And you're just very engaging and really fun and good. Right on. Took the words right out of my mouth. I'll just (laughs) say like, um, as someone with an underbite, I appreciate the underbite representation in this movie. So (laughs) Yes. No, it's a big fat recommend for me, but you you all already knew that I love this movie, so I don't have much more to add. Um, so before we get out of here, uh, first off, thank you, Lindsay, for coming on. Thank you. I had the best oh. time. Yeah, this was wonderful. We'll have to do it again sometime. Yes. Um, so you got anything you're working on you want to plug? Where can people find you on social media and whatnot? Yeah, find me online um, on Twitter and Instagram and also my link tree are at Smash Travis, S-M-A-S-H-T-R-A-V-E-S. Um, and I usually, I do post all of my work there. So if you're looking for my work, that's a good place to find it. Um, I write a few places, mostly at Pajiba, uh, CG Magazine, and What to Watch. Um, and I also have a beauty, makeup, and horror column in Grimm Magazine, which is free in PDF or you can buy it in print. And I'm currently working on my column for that and you can find me there they're a really cool issue that actually um i think if you buy a vip uh pass to fright gown you get the issue for free so there you go oh cool perfect Mm -hmm. um and you have a podcast as well right i do you can catch my podcast the pod and the pendulum on twitter it's at pod and pendulum it's available where all of your podcasts are the concept is that we go through an entire franchise start to finish and we are starting 
this week with The Conjuring, and I'm very excited about that. Oh my god, that's so fun. For those of you that want to go back to their previous episodes and listen, I was actually on their French Extremity series where we talked about Raw. Yes. Love it. It's a really good episode, one of our best performing ones, if you want to know. Really? I'm shocked (laughs) and honored. Yeah. Because I'm like, wow, do people care what I had to say? Because we got wild that episode. We did. We went into it. <laughs> yeah. Reno was a very good guest and the episode did very, very well. Right on. Love to hear that. Um, yeah. Kyla, where can everyone find you? I'm at Kyla underscore Ren on Twitter. That's K-A-I-L-A underscore R-E-N. What about you, Reina? As always, you can find me at JFC Doomblade. You can also find my work being published pretty regularly at bloodydisgusting.com and screenqueens.com. I also got a new byline in the works that, you know, I'm hoping this month I can finally reveal. But uh, as always, you can also find our podcast at Horror in Session and also on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star review. It's much appreciated. Um, and yeah, we, I don't know if this episode's going up um, on or around our Fright Gown tribute that we recorded. We recorded a tribute for uh, Nightbreed by Clive Barker. So be sure to get your tickets and check that out. And also in that episode, we, you know, we announce our summer series. Yay! So, so excited. Yeah, so stick around for that one. Um, Once again, as always, thank you to our sponsor, Super Yaki. We love you very much. Thanks for listening.